This is the Leadership and Insurance Podcast, brought to you by FinPro Search Partners. Insurance companies are businesses and they need to look for the long term and be sustainable. We went from zero to one and now it's going from one to a hundred. Insurance as, as a concept, as a kind of service, is brilliant. The execution is what we're looking at now. I think the companies that are going to succeed are the ones that are going to understand and master the art of intent. When we talk about innovation, we lean too heavily to think about technology and we don't think about creating a culture of innovation. I think innovation is essentially continuous improvement of existing processes and platforms and product, right? It's got to be easy. It's got to be seamless. Good morning and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Bond, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by Andy Moss, who's CEO and co-founder of Send Technologies. Um, Andy, good morning. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm pleased to be uh, invited to talk to you, Alex, and uh, looking forward to discussing, you know, a bit about the industry, a bit about Send. Um, yeah, it's good. Awesome. Good stuff. Uh, well, thank you. And we've now hidden your cocktail kit because it made it look like you'd started drinking at about <laughs> 11 o'clock in the morning. So, uh, you, But uh, you've just uh, mentioned it, so, so it's <laughs> not terribly helpful. <laughs> oh, I know, but I, I, I think it's funny. Isn't it? It's, you know, it's the realism we want to have in the podcast, Andy. We want, we want, we want to be talking to real people. Um, so, look, Andy, you'd be after be hiding under a rock if you didn't know who Send are, but it'd be really nice if you could introduce yourself and, um, and the Send business. Yeah, so I'm I'm Andy Moss. I'm one of the three co-founders at Send. Um, we started in 2017 as a sort of self-funded uh, startup in the insurance space. We the business we're in is the the sort of pre-bind space for commercial specialty PNC business, right? So that's a space that's historically been underinvested in. It's it's complex it you know the complexity rises with the number of data points used and the you know the different lines of business have different complexities to them but what it boils down to that pre-bind space is um can have you know 20 30 tasks it can have you know more than five people involved in in processing a submission to get to a to get to a quote um and you know bro brokers send stuff into um insurers and insurers go through all of these steps and um the coordination of that the integration to systems the use of data data ingestion that's the space we're in and we have a solution in that space which tr tries to bring all of that together in one cohesive um, application which we call the underwriting workbench um so that's that's really where we're at awesome good well, that's got to be my first question, and I, I did I did this to um you know workbench is a, a a phrase that's been banded around for a while now, but but particularly I think that the space seems to be really hotting up. But I think it's really interesting because I don't know if you everyone defines it in the same way. So I kind of wanted to know how how internally you define uh, underwriting workbench. I th I think we'd we'd call it the one stop shop uh, for for underwriting. So mm -hmm. it's it's where you bring together all of the work that you know contributes to um the underwriting process whether that's uh, understanding understanding the risk you know doing the compliance side of things mm. um, cleaning up data leveraging other data sets it's bringing that all together in one place so you know underwriters today uh typically are using five or six different systems and they're you know copying and pasting stuff from one to another they're 
Um, you know, they're doing the sort of swivel chair integration where they've got one application on one monitor and another on on another monitor and, and sort of that that adds up to a lot of activity for uh, underwriters, you know, so maybe up to half of their time spent um, doing the admin work. And these are highly trained professional people who've, you know, you know, might be at the pinnacle of their careers and, you know, they line up, line up on a Monday morning thinking, right, I've got, I've got a lot of copying and pasting to do. So, so bringing it together in one space is, is, is really valuable. And, and the, you know, benefits you get around all of the data um, together with that. Um, for us, for us, that that's really the essence of what an underwriting workbench is. Mm. I think that's why I've got so excited in this sort of space uh, of technology with inside insurance, because it's the absolute kind of definition of kind of why technology serves a purpose in a business. You know, it, it's it's saying we have highly skilled people doing tasks that we know they they're overpaid to deliver that task you know there's there's no need to have a you know highly highly educated you know niche underwriter going right i'm going to copy and paste for three hours on a monday morning i mean it's just lunacy um i think that takes us up to kind of like current state i was really interested in getting your thoughts of what's the future state of this type of product where where does it I suppose to a certain extent, probably where does that, that start and end and, and that will lead into what it means for the underwriter. But yeah, what's the future state of this sort of product? I think the before we do, I'll, I'll cover it in two ways. And one, before we get to the real uh, real future, um, yeah. a lot of a lot of companies just don't have technology in this space that's mm. that's adequate. So there's there's a real a real value to be had in just getting the basics right. So so the fu- the future, the immediate future is track your submissions and, and manage them right. better. Uh, the you know the down the line piece, you know the I guess where where it goes for underwriters is that they they should have access to technology that that increasingly helps them do their job. So moving moving from the you know what we call my, perhaps the simple stuff in technology terms, so the workflows, the managing task lists and assigning stuff to people and tracking all of the, the things that need to happen um, onto advising, you know, or suggesting uh, things to the underwriter that they may not have spotted, that they may they may not be able to comprehend because there's, you know, 10 million data points on a submission. You can't possibly have all of that in your head. And, you know, especially... Especially in the Lloyd's market, you know, when when we speak to when we speak to some of the uh, really specific lines of business, a lot of the underwriters, when you say to them, "How do you price a risk?" they'll still point to their head and it's like, you know, yeah, it's it's up here. And I I think increasingly, insurers are seeing that you know that the good underwriting performance, um, you know, correlates with good good use of data. You know, and and it's I I, I think. Giving underwriters the tools to be able to leverage that data. I'm going to mention AI, obviously. You know that that more of that co-pilot um, sort of approach, rather than it's not about replacing underwriters, but it's about automating as much of what they do as possible. And we talk to underwriters who've, who use our platform; they still want to be in the weeds with the data. They still want to be able to get to it. They don't want to leave everything to the machines because some of it is simply down to judgment or a commer- bit of commercial nouse on a on a on a submission and to get to the right um, outcome. 
So yeah, I, I just see it as as an evolution, you know, increasing use of data, increasing use of AI, and um, more time for the underwriter to think about what they're doing and what they've got in front of them and, and, and applying their judgment. That's how I see it evolving. Yeah. I, the, the thing I kept thinking about when you were talking there about how some companies still don't have this type of platform and, and I suppose it's not surprising, but, but I sort of find it a little bit surprising to a certain extent in the same way that I, I, you know, obviously I've, I've worked for, uh, you know, run a search firm and, and I went to this meeting of, other search firms it was a it was probably as awful as it sounds it was a it was like a conference for a recruitment business owners we talk about technology stacks and it surprised me that certain bits of technology that my yeah we, we use lots of tech in our business i just think certain things are like table stakes now and I, and i think something like this it has to become part of your toolkit because from a talent perspective if, if i'm an underwriter and i can go work at company a that has your technology and company b that doesn't have any of that I'm going to go work at company A because I want to have more, you know, high value time, uh, challenging tasks. That's what people want to do. We're definitely going to get to that point where people won't go and work somewhere that's not investing in the stack because that just, one, I think it sends a bad message about kind of how much you care about your people's time and you therefore don't value it. So um, it's be interesting. I, I haven't had those conversations yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if I do start having those conversations. Um because people are smart and they don't want to waste their time. Um, yeah. But that leads me on to a question I was going to say about engagement, because, you know, we are in, we are talking about, you know, internationally, but let's still talk about lawyers on the market. It is a, you do have the underwriters, that, as you rightly said, still go, oh, it's all up here. Um, do people struggle to engage? What, what Have you had feedback from your sort of customers when they, they get it but are people engaging with it how do how do we encourage that um people to sort of engage and adopt their behaviors i think i think we see we see quite a variety so we've got you know across our customer base and some of the some of the you know other businesses in the market that we talk to you see you see companies that are i guess big incumbents that have got lots of legacy tech and people have that swivel chair thing where they're, they, yeah. they, they've got a problem. They may not identify that as, as, as something that might hold them back, but it's, it's something that probably annoys them. And mm. you get, you will get, you will get engagement on that. But the, I think where we see the most traction, where we see the most interest and engagement, there's, there's a, you know, a breed of insurers at the moment that are, looking at tech and it's the business people it's you know the ceos the um the lead underwriters on a line of business that are saying well i need technology to help me do this better and, and where that's happening we get amazing traction you know we we get the um where where you know an underwriting team can see that if they use this tech well they'll be able to respond to brokers more quickly. They'll know, they'll know what they're turning away in terms of business and know therefore what the opportunity is in that space. They'll know that they can bring new data sets in and that they can use that to make better informed decisions. And, um, you know, whether it's appetite checks, whether it's, you know, assessment of the risk, you know, we, we bring in data sets that pertain to companies, um, you know, financial probity, compliance, lots of location services we use to bring in information around property so 
leveraging all of that data. If you've got teams that, that look at that and say, well, you know what, this is, um, you know, this is something that will make our, our underwriting processes better, will give us, you know, help us build a better book of business. So it's not, it's not about installing an IT system for us and, and then thinking, well, you know, how do we bring the users on board? This is, it's, it's now a, it's now a competitive dynamic for insurers that the, the insurers that will lead in the next five years are the ones that are really focused on that and, and, and taking the opportunities that the technology brings a lot of, lot of our customers, for instance, want to, want to grow the business without, um, a linear uh, increase in headcount, right? Yeah. So, so they, yeah, they yeah. want to be able to do do more with less. They want to be able to see, you know, more of the submissions that are coming in, and you know, quite a few of the customers don't get to all of them um, without without having technology in place. So they've got this deluge of submissions coming in. Mm. In an ideal world, they they want to get the best submissions and, and quote on them as quickly as possible. You can't do that without technology um, for the volume some of these uh, these businesses are dealing with. Yeah, and it's, it's there's a couple of things in there. It's you know interesting. It has to come for essentially from the underwriters, and, and and the one has to be there for the engagement. But at the same time, yeah. as I can see what you're saying, and you you're you're talking about the solution that you're offering rather than. Oh, we'll use this new technology. It's 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 not that. It's like, do you want to write more business and better business? And go, yeah. Yes, okay. Let's do this then. So yeah, really interesting to kind of weigh um it's it's about people's perception of, of what this is. I think because sometimes if you get a top-down instruction to get a new technology, it's almost like an automatic pushback against that, going, Oh, yeah. what do they know? But if you present it as as this and say, Do you want to write more business and and, and better business? It's like yeah. Because that's yeah. how my bonus is paid. <laughs> yeah, but but then you know it's the um, we're we're all in this together. We've got to deliver as the, the you know if you're a technology partner in that space, mm -hmm. and the underwriting teams are saying, you know, I, I want to I want this as an outcome. You, you better be ready to to push push and make sure that happens as well. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's def definitely fascinating space. Um, you know, we're I think we're just seeing more and more more and more investment going into that pre-bind space whether it's on yeah. you know workbenches or um ai or you know pricing solutions or submission management there's there's so much going on at the moment yeah really really interesting um how the how the market's heating up um, and it's good to see as well and i think it's it's that i've said this you know we had the kind of distribution deluge of you know of, of initial tech in, in, in investment and then now we're seeing kind of businesses which solve not not that they weren't real world problems, but for me it's like people coming out of the insurance um, ecosystem and building solutions for problems that they know exist, and and this sits mm. so squarely in that, which I think is why it's resonating so um, so much with the investment market. Um, we're talking about investment, obviously, you know, you guys raised a, a pretty significant amount of money. Um, I know expansion into the US is 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 one of the plans, um, yeah. or, or is part of the, the journey already. We talked about um, before this call. We talked about the perception problem with UK companies going into the US. Um, do we still think that perception problem is is an issue? Um, and and how are you going about that kind of US expansion? What's what's the, what's the plan for you guys there? Yeah. So so I'll where do I start with that? <laughs> There's quite a few few bits in there. So. I think the firstly, firstly, our 
our sort of expansion, our, our expansion into the US, we've we've got a number of customers and that and interest is growing. We expect that to, you know, grow significantly over the over the next couple of years. I think the um I think coming from Lloyd's London market is a a double edged sword, right? Because you go you go to US and and a lot of people in the US will look at you know what goes on with Lloyd's and think it's actually it's really prestigious and and London market think it's it's fascinating and you know I I think there's there's definitely that's that's you know the pros for us in terms of you you've come out of a market that's got a pedigree that's that's difficult to penetrate from a technology perspective it's not easy to start start up in Lloyd's and London market and um and grow grow a grow a business um in the way we have so that's on the sort of upside on on the downside you know uh, you know us will us carriers will will sometimes look at things and say well we're different we you know you, you you don't you don't understand things and i think where what we've tried to do the last couple of years working with um with our with our us um partners is really build out a view of there's there's actually a lot that is absolutely the same um there might be terminology differences there might be mm you know, different ways of approaching things, but but no more variety than we might see between two businesses in the UK, you know, right. in, in terms of how they look at things. And from an underwriting perspective, that's that's sometimes a secret source that a, a particular insurer has. So mm-hmm. that hasn't that hasn't put us off. Though I think we have had to obviously do some, I guess, localization, make sure things are right and, and get it right for the US market. So we've had a lot of investment go into that um we're building out the team there so we've we've hired four people this year in the us and you know we're that that brings with it interesting dynamics for the company in terms of you know the time big time zone differences and uh so so we've we've really got to support we've really got to support the us team well and you know we're with you know the founders and um Key people in the exec, we're doing a lot more travel than we used to. Um, going over to the US, I think from an, an investment perspective, it's also quite interesting that I, I get we 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 raised our Series A round with with European based investors, and what we see in the US, um, certainly certainly in this space and sort of adjacent spaces where you know close to underlying workbench or or that sort of pre bind space. You know, we see US investors investing pre-revenue, pre-product even, and it just doesn't happen in 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 Europe. So the they're, they're more willing to roll the dice in the US and back and back the investments. And um, you know, that that's interesting for us. And you know, we're um I, I guess we we didn't we didn't go to the US um looking looking for investment for that for that series A. And uh yeah, there's just a different environment, just a different, you know, it's, it's more conservative in 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 Europe, um, it seems. Um, so yeah, there's, there's some initial thoughts on it. Yeah, it, 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 I think yeah, there's so many touch points there, and I'm sorry, I'm I'm really guilty of of course of asking like a triple load of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you have to you, you have to do the hard work of breaking it back down. So I think you did a good job. <laughs> That's I, um, what I tried to do, yeah. <laughs> but um, no, I, I, I that investment thing really resonates with us. I mean, we we work across the US and 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 UK, and what's interesting as well is I think the entrepreneurs either side of the pond have a different dynamic as well because. 
we we worked with so many more companies that were bootstrapped and then and and then got some revenue and then raised some money in the in the UK. Whereas like almost that scene as why would you do that in the US? It's like you'll go Absolutely. out and raise money yeah. straight away, which which as someone that runs his own business, it sort of terrifies me. The idea of going, well, you're sort of going, well, this is my best guess. This is my work. Uh, let's go off. And of course, it's all smart. Ten really smart people making, you know, pretty uh, educated uh, decisions. But being out pre-revenue, I think, is fascinating. The pre-product stuff, um, th- thankfully, I think you're seeing a little bit less of. Um, so I've always just found that just uh, fascinating and, and and not in a good way. Um, slightly horrifying. Um, but the, yeah. but the boots on the ground thing is really hard as well. And I think getting that right is is really difficult because you know you want cultural ad. You don't want cultural fit. I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. So there will be differences, but it still needs to work and communication needs to flow. And, you know, we do a lot more close, you know, a lot more work with the kind of New York area than we do with California just because of time yeah. zone differences. So yeah, there's, there's so many challenging things there, but I think getting those boots on the ground um, just means a lot. You know, it's very difficult to say we can travel as much as we like. I know both of us are obviously going to be in Vegas uh, next week, but, for ITC, but travel's not quite the same with having people there, is it, that represent no. you as a business? Um, and they can be your translation internally between what we really mean. Because um, the irony, I was thinking about you talk about Lloyd's, I talked to a lot of US businesses trying to come to the UK, and they're all obsessed with getting into Lloyd's. And I'm going, you've got this enormous insurance market that you, you I feel like you're, sometimes I'm a bit sort of pushed back and go, Are you, you're creating a headache that you don't necessarily need, but yeah, that prestige thing, I think, plays both ways as well. So, yeah, I also think the um, it's it, it's a small world on that front. You know, we're we're often talking to or working with, you know, um, London-based um, insurers who are expanding into the US and US who've got an international business, um, part of which might be might be in the UK in the London market. So, it's um, yeah, it you know, we're we're quite often often talking to you know businesses that are, are global anyway so so yeah. it's it's kind of that helps join the dots um yeah. for us for us sometimes do you do you see that do you see do you see uh i guess uh is you know do you see challenges when you're, you're you're helping expanding teams from london into the us do you do you see the challenges there yeah i mean that's a big thing about what we do and and you know there's so many there's so many challenges. I mean, the first one, compensation, like America is just, yeah. and different roles have different compensations. I think that's, that's, that's really difficult. It's a very expensive place to hire, particularly if you go for some of the major cities. I think culturally it's really hard, um, you know, and, and particularly when you're first out there, because you're almost always going to be a person that's going to have to be fully remote. Mm. Um, and how do how do you make them feel part of the team when you know if the team's really London centric and everyone's here, um, and there's this little culture, um, how do they get on board with it? But as to your point, a lot of these people have come out of these big multi you know multinational multi site um, organisations, so they're kind of used to that. But depends how much they've worked in a really joined up environment because you know I, I mean I used to work for. RSA and then I worked for Hayes. I've worked for big corporate businesses. Mm. 
but I always say it's quite interesting because you know when you're hiring someone and someone might push back and go, "Oh, that person doesn't have startup experience," and or they've worked at a big company. I worked in Hayes, but I worked for Hayes Insurance Brand, which is only 120 people. So it felt like working for a 120-person business. And within that, I sat in London doing the London market, of which I think there was about 35. So you were going, right. it felt like I worked for a 35-person business. I just happened to work for a FTSE-listed company. So I think those cultural pieces um, are the hardest thing, but you have to really break down that person's actual working lived experience. You know, did you... Because it's very lazy to say, oh, this person worked for a, a Munich Re or they were, or, or you know, big technology company like a Guidewire. But if they work for a really small part of that or they work for a small team, it's like there's, there's more similarities there. But it's the biggest challenge. I mean, and we get it both ways. I mean, that's a lot of what we yeah. do. First boots on the ground in the US or first boots on the ground in the UK and, and swap, swap that around. Um, talking about talent, actually, I, I mean, I don't think we can talk about workbenches without talking about um, what this sort of technology means for the underwriter of the future and i've I, I asked this pick this question all around but how do you see it do you, i think not not like i think more i think we know the job role is going to change and it's going to be focused on higher value tasks and do, do you think that the talent pool we need to attract needs to be more kind of tech nat, native or tech savvy yeah I, I, that's it's definitely something we see that the evolution of role. So when, you know, if, if you want to, if you want to automate and you want to do something significant in the underwriting space, you need someone who can get their head around what they do today and how that would translate into a, a technology enabled process. So, mm -hmm. and that includes not just, um, not just lifting and shifting. It's looking at, well, you know what? What's the what's the downside of this? What can we get away with? You know what? You know what's our tolerance on on the technology making? You know some of the decisions here versus the upsides of what could we do with technology that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do? And having having someone um, from the business in the underwriting space who gets their head around as much of that as possible is is such a value add is such an enabler for 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 projects in that in that area and i think you know we, we already see in um and team it's a team sport anyway right so there's you know we we see on average you know across across um our customers a given a submission will have five people on on average touch it as well as a load of automation stuff going on and those five people could be Doing operational stuff, they could be um, actuarial, they could be compliance team, um, they could be I don't know scrubbing some data, and then you've got underwriters looking at it as well, and I, and I think really being able to see through all of that and and identify the opportunities, you know, it it's it's tough, it's it, you know it's it's not it's not an easy thing. We see a lot more a lot more insurers hiring. You know, data scientists, um, or um, you know, kind of the the sort of multi-skilled people who can who can have a foot in a few different camps, and uh, you know, whether you call it innovation or whether they're they're gravitate towards you know a data role or something like that. We're we're seeing we're seeing more of those um, sort of more variety in the roles that are coming in. What it, what it means for underwriters, I think, is that there there needs to be um, we need the, the types of underwriters that will 
be able to work with the technology and change teams and and you know technology partners and work out the art of the possible and make it happen and, mm-hmm. and so changing your role from doing the do to explaining to other people and working with them collaborating on how you could automate bits of that out mm-hmm. it's, it, it makes it i think it polarizes it. it makes it more more complex it's a more complex role more challenging role um, but there's obviously a lot of upside to it to be able to define that but at the other end of the spectrum we we've got we've got a play with with ai enabled um, underwriting where we're not assuming that ai will get things right every time <laughs> so there's yeah. there's a lot of vendors that will that will you know that will say you know ai is going to replace this role or that role we what we've done is look at it as well it, you can you can have some you know indication of confidence around something but sometimes you just need to pop it in front of a person and let them make a judgment and that might you know that might boil down to be more might be like micro tasks like just here's something here's what we found is this right or not you know so that's the other end of the spectrum you've got you've got people perhaps doing more more variety of um, smaller tasks and you've got these people at the other end of the spectrum who are perhaps um, you know d- designing a, a technology enabled underwriting uh, solution with the change people with the technologists so yeah that's um I do think about it a lot that that's kind of how I, how I see it evolving um yeah definitely I definitely I can think I can think of a couple of our customers that have gone to market as they're building their business over the last few years and as part of the job spec for the underwriting teams have said we need people who have worked in you know with strong technology um because they're they're looking for they're looking for the people that will that have the maturity and experience of working working with not just doing the underwriting not just being the you know the Mm. deal maker um mm. but also the you know the thinker who's going to go and work with the with the technologists to come up with something something great yeah we i mean i think the trend is 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 really interesting i mean there's so many things that we've seen on our side you know we, we've we've worked with businesses and getting these kind of like innovation underwriting teams put together for example and the profiles for them have been have been interesting because they've been different per business you know not every business looks at this the same way as as as, yeah. as you rightly kind of alluded to and you know we've seen a lot more kind of trees moving over to underwriting because they've got a core understanding of like you know the rating and all that puts together and the pricing model leaves um and and therefore they're in a way better set up to work with these types of um products because you know they're, they're sort of start an early point at the value chain and then it's but are they commercial enough is always the question that gets asked and then, and then and then the other thing we're seeing is yeah we're seeing things that are like net new risks you know we talk about things like you know we had our miller on and they've got an ai you know uh, product and and you go well i've i've pushed back on this quite hard cyber was another one but whereas we're going are we doing enough as an industry to pull in people that are from cybersecurity world or artificial mm. intelligence and go right would you be interested in being an underwriter but we've got to make that role interesting enough. And I think tools like this help you get towards that because then you're kind of using your expert input to build the the, the engine that, that kind of gets you the result you need. But the side effect of that is that we've, we've seen businesses, particularly in the US actually, we've seen this in digital MGAs where they've really tried to automate almost all of the underwriting. And then actually we've had people leave some of those businesses to go as an underwriter, they've gone 
my role is now actually not interesting. It's just yeah. the hu- it's human in the loop. So there's a real polarizing thing of going, I think they're going to create some really awesome and interesting jobs in the underwriting space. And then there's also kind of, you know, am I just kind of like checking up on it? So and it's getting the balance of those two things right. Um, one's probably really good for businesses, but it's also got to be good for the team. Um, yeah. I uh, I'm really conscious of your time, so I'll, I'll, I'm gonna <laughs> gonna move on because I think we could kick that run around for a while. Oh yeah, yeah. I I, I love I love the topic. I, I just want to say one more thing. It's kind of sure. no one's, um, I guess no one's going to be uh, disappointed to see the admin stuff go away. All of the no, the reeking absolutely copy so. That's yeah. that's the that's the first thing that's really up for grabs. Um, you know, yeah. that that I don't think that there should be too many. Um, there won't be too many underwriting teams uh, all that worried about that side of things. No, I agree. And I I put my hippie hat on about this the other day, and I got some stick for it from some of my friends. But <laughs> I you know I said a lot of automation when automation came in, and the simplest way to look at this when there was a load of automation tools for the household, right? And we first started getting dishwashers and washing machines. People were talking about, well, maybe we'll just work less. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> we won't have to work five days a week. And I think sometimes we kind of plow into the, oh, let's just kind of like look at it from a profitability angle. If we look at it from a, um, a an enjoyment of, of having more fun at work or or enjoying your work more, I think that's the, the, the that's also the first things up the ground because exactly to your point, just getting rid of all the stuff that people don't really want to be doing. Is is instantly creates this much nicer working environment where people are doing kind of higher value, interesting work. Um, and I and I I took it a step further, going, well, well maybe we could just go. You can start doing job shares, and uh, yeah, everyone looked at me like I was mad. So, I, <laughs> oh, well, no, I think I think I think you're onto something there. But hold hold that thought, and we'll see how it plays out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I, I think I think this is. I always like to kind of have a podcast where we can kind of have people uh come away from this with with maybe some sort of ideas and, and yeah you're an expert in this space so i was going to ask you what are the top three things and uh you might encourage listeners to take away from this podcast and sort of implement to get them ready for this evolution of underwriting that's coming yeah i think i think first first thing i go for is is what i mentioned earlier it's a it's a team sport and mm. you know that that how how underwriting um that underwriting evolution happens in the next few years will will be around the collaboration you know it will be around people seeing the opportunities where the handoffs are um where the bottlenecks are that that's that's the first thing really i think the second one is that you know there's there's a lot of um there's a lot of investment being put into the into the pre-bind space i think the you know the the insurers that take advantage of that are going to um, really really reap the benefits. Um, I guess the third thing, you know, we're you know we're at, at Send, we're 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 hoping we're we're the ones pushing the pushing the boundaries on that, and and you know we've done a lot of investment in into the space. We've got active pipeline of um, sort of ideas coming from some of these underwriting teams, you know. Don't just think internally. Go and talk to your vendors and push them hard to 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 help make the difference. Um, there's there's a great cohort of of companies like Send out there that are really um, really wanting to make a difference. And um, but you know they need they need the input. They need the challenge. And uh, and we welcome that. Yeah, yeah. So I I also I think people don't um, 
they don't reach out enough. So I, I, I was, I, I, I say this in my space. It was like, there's, there's loads of input that we can give people for free. Like, and we're happy to do it. You know, mm-hmm. like we want to give that feedback because we, we need it as well. And, you know, it's like to, to a certain extent, it's like just talking to the vendors and, and knowing what's out there because you kind of, until you know what the possibilities are, how can you set your business up for the future? Because you don't know what the pools and opportunities are along the way. So, yeah, um, I'm not saying you, you, your business is going to give uh, free technology advice for uh, <laughs> that'd be a bad pitch to end on. I think we'd get we'd, we'd get into trouble. Um, Andy, pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time out. Um, I know we're going to get a chance to kind of uh, see each other in the flesh in, in Vegas, but um, yeah, yeah, really appreciate also. you being a guest on the podcast. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Thanks, Alex. Thanks for inviting me, and um, yeah, look forward to catching up next week. Thank you very much.